You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning again. Great to worship with you today. Thanks for being with us. I want to welcome you to, to Lima Community today. Glad that you're here. Are you, would you be okay with some continuing congregation participation? You've already been participating. Can we participate a little more? Do you guys remember sword drills? You know what sword drills are? Where you take your sword, the word of God, and you like look for Bible verses. Okay, don't get scared. We're not gonna go like searching through the minor prophets or anything, you know, have to remember what order those books go in. But I do need some help today. So if you've got your Bible or if you've got uh, a device that you, that you use to read the Bible on, I want you to help me. And I really do need a bunch of you to help because uh, one of the things I wanna hear is how the different versions and translations that we have might um, might title some of these things we're going to look at. So again, before you get too nervous, we're going to look at one thing at the very beginning of the Bible and one thing at the very end. And so, it, you know, you're not going to have to dig or, or search too hard, but um, I, I, want, I wonder if you'd help me by turning to Genesis 3. So this one's at the beginning of the Bible. If you just turn to, to Genesis chapter 3. And what I want you to do, a, a lot of our Bibles have these uh, titles over like a, the sections or the paragraphs. And so um, I would like for you to tell me what the title is of Genesis chapter three in your Bible. Well, a few of you just shout it out. Okay, the fall of man, what was over here? The fall, the fall of man, the fall of mankind, I think I heard, what else? The temptation, the first sin, what else do we have, any others? The man and woman sin. I've got uh, uh, one of the ones I found was the first sin and its punishment. Does anybody have human disobedience? That's one of the headings too. Okay, so uh, we, we get the idea of what this story is about, right? Starting in Genesis three, this is the, this is the fall of man. It's the time when Adam and Eve sin and, uh, and walk away from God's perfect plan in the, in the garden at creation. Okay, now turn with me all the way back to the back to Revelation chapter 20. And for this one, instead of the heading at the beginning of chapter 20, I want you to look at the heading for the last paragraph. So the last paragraph of chapter 20, right before chapter 21, you're, I'm guessing that your Bible has a heading there too. So go ahead and let me know what that one says. The New Jerusalem, no, no, wait, wait. I'm not talking about chapter 21. Did I say 21? Okay, the last, the last paragraph of chapter 20. The dead are judged, the judgment I heard. What else you got? Final judgment, okay. Okay, there's another judgment. I heard, I heard judgment at the throne, I think. One of the ones I found was judgment at the throne of God. So, so Genesis 3 is the fall or the first sin and its punishment. And, and Revelation 20 is uh, the, the final judgment, judgment at the throne of God. Now, I wanna just show you something, okay? Um, as, as Christians, it is important to us that God created. Would you agree with that? I think it's important that God created. And I wanna show you in my Bible, this is God created. This page right here, all right? 
Now, don't get like too picky. I know there's other stuff about God creating, but this is that story. It's in Genesis one and two, which is right before what we looked at in Genesis three. And another thing that I think is important to us is heaven. That, I think that as Christians, we ought to be thankful for heaven. It's kind of important. And in my Bible, this is heaven right here, okay? Now, again, there, I know that there's a lot of stuff in here that is about creation and heaven. That's not, that's not the point I'm trying to make. Um, I, I think that in my experience, oftentimes we start the story with Genesis three. We start with the fall and the sin and brokenness and we end the story in Revelation 20 with the judgment at the throne of God. And those things are part of the story. But when we do that, we have lopped off two chapters at the beginning and two chapters at the end of the story. And they are part of the story that I don't think we wanna be without. And so as we continue in our series today, we're gonna look specifically at a portion from one of these last two chapters of Revelation, a brief section of scripture that describes the, the beloved disciple, John. It describes his vision of heaven. And I wanna point out just right here at the start that this vision is something that John says was revealed to him by God and that he shares with many of the Old Testament writers, prophets, and, and with the apostle Paul. But before we dive into this brief passage, I wanna talk a little about revelation. Can we do that? So uh, many of you may know that there's a group of, of uh, folks that pray with those of us who are, are preaching. So on, on Sunday morning, when any of us is ready to preach, a little bit before that first service, we gather with some people who pray for us. And today, the guys that prayed with me said, what are you preaching on? And I said, revelation. And they went, huh? <gasps> and that's kind of what revelation makes us do, isn't it? We go, <gasps> like, it's a little, do you spend much time in revelation? It's a tough, it's a tough book. I think that Revelation is the, of all of the, the books in the New Testament, I believe it's the most difficult one for us to interpret. And one of the things that I think complicates it is that it, in Revelation, you've got multiple types of literature in the same book. So we've talked before about how the Bible is more like a library than a book, and it's got different types of literature, and we ought to read those types of literature in the way that they were written. So if it's, if it's a poem, we ought to read it like we would read a poem. And if it's a, um, you know, if it's a letter, we ought to read it like we would read a letter. Well, Revelation causes us some problem there because Revelation's got apocalyptic literature, which is something that we don't really know much about or deal with at all. It's got prophetic literature. So it's, it's kind of got some prophecy that reminds us of some things that maybe we see in, in some of the prophetic books of the Old Testament. And it's got some of the characteristics of a, of a New Testament letter, of an epistle. It starts with a greeting and it ends with a summary. And it looks like John is writing a letter, but it's got all these other things kind of mashed up within it. And so uh, it's, it's difficult for us to know how to interpret Revelation. Now, Revelation was most likely written by John, uh, who was, as I mentioned, the beloved disciple of Jesus. And John wrote a couple other things in the New Testament as well. He wrote the Gospel of John, 
and he wrote the three short letters that are just a few pages before Revelation in your Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So because of this uh, challenge of interpretation, uh, what has happened is that there have been many different ideas about how we ought to read Revelation over the years. And I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this today, but I wanna give a really broad overview of what some of those views are. Um, there's a lot of nuances. There's a lot of subcategories. We're not gonna do like a seminary class. We're just gonna talk for a couple minutes here about uh, the different ways to look at Revelation. So the, the first view of Revelation that I'm gonna describe is one that really is not widely held or accepted. It's kind of been debunked. And um, it's one that I, I still want us to be aware of the, uh, the history of it and the, the possible continued presence sneaking into our thinking at times. So this idea, this view of Revelation is that the, the events described in the book of Revelation um, are describing exactly events that will be happening in the age to come or you know, in, in the, the time that has, has transpired since the book was written. So for example, the book of Revelation mentions a character that is the antichrist. And people who would subscribe to this view would say, we have to find the Antichrist. Like to interpret Revelation this way, we've got to figure out who it is. And so some of them thought that maybe Hitler was the Antichrist. This is the kind of thinking in this terminology or in this, this uh, philosophy, this view of Revelation. Um, similarly, maybe that the, the chip on your credit card is the mark of the beast right? This kind of thing. I know we, it's kind of, we kind of chuckle, but at the same time, it's like, oh boy, we're, I'm not even going to bring up vaccines right now. Um, I guess I did. I guess by not saying I'm not going to, I did, but that was not, that was not my intent. This is, this, this view of revelation really has been debunked because people have, tr have had to try way too hard to take these descriptions of events in revelation and fit them into things that have actually happened. All right, so, um, so we're gonna move on past that one. Now, the other three views that I'm gonna describe are, I would say, still viable, still widely held views uh, in, in the church today. So I'm gonna just describe them very briefly. One is that the events described in Revelation already took place around the time that John was writing, maybe in the first few hundred years after he wrote. And much of biblical scholarship historically has thought that this was probably the case, that John was describing things that he was watching happen sort of as he wrote. Uh, the, the second view, the next one that I wanna describe is one that uh, all of the, the events described in Revelation are yet to come. They are events that will happen in maybe what we would call the end times and, and something that, you know, these events are gonna unfold down the road somewhere. And this would be the view that has been most popular in the church over the last century, especially in the Western church. Um, and then the final view that we'll discuss today is really a view that, that says the events described in Revelation are not they're not historical in the sense that they already happened. They're not future looking or predictive in the sense that they're going to happen, but instead are maybe more symbolic and are describing symbolically the, uh, the battle between good and evil, the things that are taking place sort of on that cosmic scale. 
Now, there's, there's a real broad overview of those views. And as much as you may want me to do this, I'm not gonna tell you which one you should have. I have an opinion, but my opinion doesn't really matter that much for what we're talking about today. My opinion matters a lot in all other things, but <laughs> it doesn't matter that much in what we're talking about today. So, so here's, here's what I'm gonna leave you with when it comes to interpreting Revelation. A few years ago, we had a speaker here named Dr. Scott Daniels for Faith Promise. And I've heard him talk about this. And the way that he says it is, I hope we can agree on the who of Revelation, and that's God, and the why of Revelation, that he is that he is redeeming without getting lost in arguing about the when and the how. Okay, is that fair enough for today? Let's, let's just, yeah, we'll, we'll go on. So, so what I'm gonna try to do today is help us see some of the things that many of us may have assumed about this book and that they may not quite be what we have thought. And, and I wanna to start the argument by saying that part of the reason that I think we have misconceived revelation, that we have at times misinterpreted revelation is because of this focus here. It's because we've ignored Genesis one and two and we've ignored Revelation 21 and 22. So we're gonna begin with Revelation 21 verse one and uh, see what the, the disciple John has to say to us. John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals he will dwell with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Now John has written the, the previous 20 chapters of Revelation leading up to this. This is, this is the big finish. This is the culmination that John has been building toward. And, and this is the, the passage in this book that follows the judgment, right? What we just read, those headings in chapter 20, this is the section immediately after that uh, final judgment. And so the final judgment is not the end of the story. John here talks about a new heaven, a new earth, a holy city called the new Jerusalem. And later in the passage, in that last verse that we read, God speaks and says, he is making all things new. So do you sense a theme in these first five, five verses of Revelation? It's, it's newness, right? The theme is that God is making things new. So what does this word new mean? Well, if I were to say to you, I got a new car, you would think, I think you would think one of two things. You would think either he got a 2020, I guess it would be a 2023 model, right? Those start to come out in the summer, the year before. So either he got a, a really new car 
or he got a car that somebody else has already had, but it's new to him. It's a different car than the car that he had before, right? That's when we think of the word new, that's generally the way that we think about it. But as we see happen so often in the effort to get from the language that the scripture's written in to our language today, we lose something. We lose the ability to communicate some of the nuance. And so to illustrate what I think John is saying in Revelation 21, I wanna show you another passage of scripture where the same Greek word is used and show you what I think John's trying to, to say. So in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Look, new things have come into being. Now this word new here is the same as the one that we have in Revelation 21. So according to this passage in Paul, when, when I was in Christ, when my relationship with Jesus began, I was a new creation. And I say, thanks be to God, right? Amen to that. Now, did God get rid of my old body and give me a new body? No, I wish he had, you know? There's some things I'd like to change. But that's not, how, that's not what new means here. It doesn't mean like we think a new car. It's not like I, he gave me a body I never had before. It means that God renewed me. It means that he made me new. And friends, this is who God is. This is what God does. I believe one of the primary works of God is the renewing and the reclaiming of all his creation. And I think that culminates with this passage in Revelation 21, where John paints a picture for us of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven with God to earth. We've talked about this tension in which we live, the tension of the kingdom being here already and not yet. And we live in the already. We live in a time when the kingdom has come and yet we still pray for the kingdom to come. And what John is describing in Revelation 21, this is the not yet. This is the kingdom that is yet to come, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down, the kingdom that is yet to come, the kingdom we await with great hope and anticipation when the reign of Jesus is fully established here on earth. I think this is where it gets a little tricky for us because what John describes in Revelation 21 is not a scenario in which God gives up on the earth, scraps it, destroys it, and rescues us from it. The idea we have in the book of Revelation right here in our Bibles is not the idea that the world is something that we have to escape. It's not the idea that the world is beyond God's redemption, something that he is ultimately going to destroy. That is not what John describes in Revelation 21. Instead, John says heaven is coming to earth. John's vision, which again, he shares with Paul and Ezekiel and Isaiah, and most importantly, Jesus. John's vision 
is that God is renewing his creation. That he's renewing the earth and that we aren't escaping this place to go to heaven, but that God is bringing heaven to us. The idea of heaven coming to earth may sound familiar to you. In another one of John's writings in the first chapter of his gospel, John writes about Jesus as the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and what God has already done in the person of Jesus, John writes here that God will do himself. God himself will come and dwell among us. According to this passage, the home of God shall be among mortals and he will dwell with them. This is the complete transformation of heaven and earth, which God will accomplish by purging all the negative consequences and effects of human sin. That's what this passage says. It says that there won't be any more death. There won't be any more sorrow. There won't be any more mourning. And whatever tears we have left in that age, God himself will wipe those tears away. Praise God is right. You may have noticed the song we sang just before the message today was, this is my father's world. I asked Jonathan this week if we could sing that song just as, as a reminder that this is what we actually believe. You know, I know that it's easy to look around us and see so much brokenness. That's what the song says, though the wrong seems oft so strong, right? We cannot ignore the first two chapters of the book of Genesis. And just like when we read these verses in Revelation 21 and we see the theme of newness, if we read the first two chapters of the book of Genesis, there's a theme that clearly emerges and it is goodness. It is that the, the world God created is good. There is an inherent goodness in creation and it may be hard. It may be hard to look around and see the good right now, but I believe God is redeeming and restoring and reclaiming and recreating. And one of the reasons I believe it is because I watch a bunch of you joining him in that work, helping bring his kingdom to this world, to this good world, to our father's world. Passage in Revelation tells us that God is making all things new. And I believe that that includes all his creation, the created world in which we live and all the people who inhabit it. And God needs our cooperation. He needs us to join him in his redeeming and reclaiming work. And I wanna be really clear, God doesn't need us because he can't do it as if he were incapable of something. God needs us because that is how he has chosen to work in our midst. So where is heaven? Well, one of my favorite movies says that heaven is in Iowa. <laughs> and I think that maybe they weren't too far off. You know, I don't, I don't wanna stand up here today and act like I've got all of this end time stuff figured out. There's a lot of what happens at the end that I don't, I don't grasp, I don't fully understand. But I wanna tell you what I take hope in. 
I take hope in the reality that when the new heaven and the new earth come together, God will make his dwelling with us. When we read in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of requirements for God's presence. Do you remember this part of the story that for the people of Israel, they had a tabernacle that they had to build to all these specifications and that was where they met with God. And then when they were no longer a nomadic people and they had a place that was more permanent, they had a temple and the temple was where they went. And then within the temple, there was the Holy of Holies. And then later when they were a nomadic people again, do you know where the presence of God was? They carried it in a box called the Ark of the Covenant with them, right? This is the picture we have of the divine presence in the Old Testament. When God wasn't, wasn't present with them, this was how his presence was symbolized. And if we read on in chapter 21 of Revelation, do you know what John tells us is gonna happen in the new creation? No temple, no tabernacle, no holy of holies, no Ark of the Covenant, because God himself will be dwelling among us. None of those things are needed because the divine presence will be readily available to every one of us in the new creation. It's a small phrase in verse one of this passage that I kind of skipped over and I wanna go back to now. The end of verse one says that in the new creation, in the vision that John has of heaven, the sea was no more. Carrie and I were on vacation last week and we got to experience the sea. And we, we really, you know, not even knowing that this was the passage that I'd be preaching on today, we, we just reflected on the vastness of the sea. Uh, there was a time when Carrie looked out at, at how great the ocean was and she said to me, do you ever feel like when you see that, do you feel like, you know what, God, God can handle my stuff, you know? The sea is spectacular. And, and so in this first verse of chapter 21, John describes the new creation and he says, the sea is no more. And it makes me a little sad. I like the sea. I like the ocean. Now, I, I don't like to be in it because you have to go through sand to get in it. And that <laughs> is just no good for anybody. But I like to look at the ocean. I really like to look at the ocean. I think it's very majestic. And it, it helps me see the greatness of God. You know that John's original audience and really to all ancient people, uh, the sea was anything but magnificent. It was, it was uh, terror. It was frightening. If you read through scripture and see what the sea represents, it, it usually represents chaos. It, in the book of Revelation, the sea is where the monster comes from. The sea was scary. It, it represented chaos, a, a dark force that was a constant threat to God's people. So as we close this morning, I want you to imagine with me the vastness of the sea. Imagine how far the ocean reaches. Imagine the time when you look out at the horizon and you realize that where the sea meets the horizon, like it, it just keeps going, right? Farther than, you can, farther than you can see, it keeps going. And there are times in our lives when the chaos of the world feels that big, that vast, that threatening, that scary. 
that mighty. But when John describes the new heaven and the new earth, the sea will be no more. Chaos will be no more. You know, regardless of how much you love your beach vacation, that's really hopeful news. <laughs> this is a world that we can dream hopefully about, a world with no chaos, no grief, no mourning, no sorrow, where God wipes the tears from our eyes. This is the world that is to come. And I'm grateful for it. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are making all things new. God, would you make us new? Would you breathe life into us? And would you help us be agents of, of new making, of recreating? Would you help us join you in the work that you're doing? That your kingdom may come, that we may help usher the new heaven and the new earth into being. God, we love you. We're humbled by the work that you're doing in our lives. And we pray you would continue it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I wanna thank you so, so much for being here today. And I wanna leave you with this invitation. If, if the world is not getting trashed, and I think that the Bible is pretty clear that the earth is not getting trashed, so if that's true, how might we reconsider our relationship with all that is created around us? And how might this week we join God in the recreating and the reclaiming and the redeeming of all his creation? Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here today. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.